Hello and welcome to Paper Tuesdays with Michael Dwyer and Mark Halpin. Michael, who is our guest today? This is great. It's like an inception moment for someone that has loved kombucha for since he introduced it to me in Bridgewater Shopping Centre. We now have an expert in good health and an expert in all things culinary. It's Theresa Keane all the way from Kilmuckridge. Theresa, thanks for joining us. No thanks bother. How are you? You're Kilmuckridge, good. but you're not Wexford and everything and everything that comes in between that with flavours and that. But um, Booch and Bia is your brand. Tell us about it, Tree. Yep. So Booch and Bia, as you said, is the brand. Booch being um, just the short for kombucha. It's just, we, we call it Booch. And so I've, we've actually ended up calling our, our uh, van The Booch. The Booch. Or, oh, you, you know, oh. that's, that's what we call our, all the, our pet name for <laughs> So yeah, so we make uh, kombucha. We make uh, water kefir milk kefir, lots of different types of fermented foods and fermented drinks. So that's our, that's our take on things. That's what we do. Very good. So fermented, is that just letting stuff get old or is it, is there a process? Yeah, well look, it, it is base form. That's what it is. You let stuff, but, but it's, it's more um, controlled. Right. So say for the kombucha, so the one I, I gave you there is yeah. a blackberry. So it's, it's actually a hedgerow, so wild, uh, all, the, all the berries that are out at the moment, or out a couple of weeks ago, they, they're all kind of so gone now. So what sort of berries are out at the moment? So you have rose hips, you'd still have a few blackberries, there might be some, where, depending on the area that you're in, there, there could be some uh, sea buckthorn berries. There's lots of different little things that you can use. Um, so that's what that one was. So what you basically do is you make a tea. So any tea, as long as it's proper tea, that it has um, sinensis, is what the Camilla sinensis, so proper tea as opposed to, you know, some of the teas that you can get that are like uh, peppermint, but they have no caffeine, no tea mm. in it. Yeah. So you, you, you get that tea, you sweeten it, lots of sugar, and then you put what we call a scoby on top of it. So the scoby looks like a rubber mat. It's often called a mushroom, a, a kombucha mushroom. Rubber mat is like, very kind to a Teresa. Yeah, I know. But some oh, of like his scobies used to go like... in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> I absolutely love so. In, in my house and, and in the kitchen that I, that I hire to make all these foods, we ha I have loads of jars of what my daughter calls brains. You know? <laughs> but they look... And yes, some of them are really smooth and thin and others are fat and ugly and knobbly and all sorts. Mm. But either way, scoby stands for symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. Oh, wow. So that's what it's, a scoby stands yeah. for. And that's exactly what it is. So this it's a pellicle, what they call a pellicle. So, and uh, that contains lots of different types of bacteria and yeasts. And when you put that onto the cold, sweetened tea, it starts to ferment it. And the magic happens. So there's a kind of a two-step process. So the first step is um, aerobic. So it needs oxygen. So you just basically make it and you have to be very careful that everything is really clean, really sterilized because you don't want any bad bacteria getting in there. You only want the controlled ones, the ones that you want in there. So you just cover it over a cloth and you leave it for between, say, seven and ten days uh, at a temperature. Now, if you're just doing this for yourself at home, people are not quite as particular, but I would keep it between 19 and 24. I take the pH level of it. Um, before and I take it after two days and then I take it after a week until I get the pH that I want wow. and I control the temperature as and the temperature as well so when it gets to it's normally about normally about 10 days that kind of thing and then I'll come along I'll take the scoby out stored in my scoby hotel that's what they're called scoby hotels and um, with about 200 mils of that first liquid of the of the first fermented liquid and you store that and you uh, then go ahead and add your flavor so for this one say in particular uh, it was a puree of all those berries 
and, and it's, you can add like there's no end to the flavor profiles yeah. that you can add to kombucha but the flavors have to be complementary to each other as well you don't want to just fire something in there for the sake but you have to kind of know a little bit about flavor science and what works and what doesn't work mm. but generally speaking if everything grows together they'll go together yeah you know flavor wise and then you this is where the uh, the second phase of it is where you get the fizz so you were asking earlier about the fizz. How do you get the fizz? How do you get it? And then, no, I don't put a salpidine yeah. into it. <laughs> Michael, so it's, and this is where the, the sealing comes in. So you seal it then. And this is a, an anaerobic stage. And that takes roughly to anywhere from two days to four or five days. Again, temperature controlled. This one, if I put that into the fridge, it'll stop fizzing. So if I want to, um, if I want a cold drink, the bacteria, because bacteria at, in, in, at a low temperature obviously are not as active. That's why we keep things in the fridge, yeah. obviously, to stop the, stop the bacteria working and breaking down the foods. So there'll be no fizz in that. But once I leave it at a nice room temperature, warm temperature, it produces carbon dioxide and that gives it the fizz. And that's what gives you that lovely, fizzy, refreshing, gut healthy drink. Can I just, sorry, Mike, can I just ask you about the, the aerobic and anaerobic? Because in terms of like training and people and stuff, it, anaerobic would be working on oxygen, as you were saying before. And then is anaerobic, is that? Ana so anaerobic means um, it works without the presence of oxygen. And then aerobic is with oxygen. Does that mean it's working on the glucose from the sugar the SCOBY is living off yes. of that? Yeah. So even if I didn't have a, um, even if I didn't have a SCOBY, so it's not actually the SCOBY. It's the you always do a, a, a like a backwash, um, back slapping. Right. So you along with the scoby, you need a little bit of the of a previous batch, or if you're only starting off for the first time, uh, you could use a little bit of cider vinegar. Right. So it's the blend of bacteria that's there. So whether it's lactic acid bacteria and acetic acid bacteria, that's kind of. Now I'm not a scientist, so I can't. Yeah. You know, I, I can't go into the whole glycolic breakdown and all of those types of things, but. Um, well, unless I had something in front of me to be yeah. <laughs> really looking at. But basically, yeah, it breaks down the sugars. And That's the yeast, really The yeast break down the sugars. The bacteria then comes along and starts working on the acetic acid bacteria. Yeah. And that's what gives it that sour, vinegary taste. So if that's left, um, it'll, it'll go to vinegar. Yeah. So if I don't do anything with that, there's anything left, it'll go to vinegar, which is exactly what I do with it. So I don't waste any of that. Really? So if, yeah, so if there's lots, like I sell vinegars as well. So to say if there's that much left in the bottle, mm. I'll just keep, I'll keep throwing them into, into a, 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 an aerobic situation. And I'll just keep putting them into it. I'll add things like um, carrot peelings, I could, uh, particularly apple peelings, apple cores, take the pips out, all right, but the apple cores. And after roughly three months, I'll have the most beautiful, fruity, floral vinegar. Oh. And I, I use that then in cooking in all sorts of things. Wow. It's a great, um, it, it's, a, it, it's a thing, um, people pay a lot of money for cider apple vinegar, mm. right. you know, with the, and they, they, they make a great play about having this, the mother. You know, you, you've heard this, but like you get that. That's exactly what you get from that. Yeah, mm. I used to do a shot of the mother in the mornings and it was horrendous. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not good for the I don't know about the, the science behind that. I'm not really sure because um, vinegars really only have acetic acid. Mm. They don't really have anything else because it's the pH is so low that there's not much else can survive there. Yeah. So the, the science is not really there to say whether that's good for you or not. Yeah. But it, like for me, I add it a lot to food. 
because um, again it, it maybe might stop you by using lemons and lime even though I love citrus but this will give you the same flavour profile it'll finish off a sauce it'll finish off a dish it'll you know just give that uh, that acid that you need in nearly all food in, in, a, in a, a good dish you yeah. need to have all those elements and acid is really really important in food so that gives you the same thing only you can get a different floral fruity note from it yeah, you're big into your flavours as well. You even Massive. had a coffee kombucha once. Too. Oh, the coffee kombucha is my favourite. Really? Yeah, it's so what strong. I did was I cultured a a scoby. So um, I, instead of making the tea, I made a really good, strong, good coffee. The coffee that we sell from Booch as well. I made uh, that, made it really strong. And I put the scoby into it, a, a new scoby. So every time you make a batch of kombucha, the scoby grows a new, scroll, a, a new scoby. So each time, so that's why sometimes you'll see them, they're that thick and they're layers and layers and layers of scobies. That's what they are. So I peeled off a new scoby, a baby scoby, and I um, fermented it with coffee. And then I left it for a week. And then I took the new scoby off that and I did it again. And I didn't use that liquid. I didn't use that coffee. That time I just threw that out because there was no real taste of anything. So after doing that, I think I did that maybe three times and they ended up with what I call a proper coffee com um, scoby. And I absolutely love that coffee. Did, did you try it? We had it here. Yeah. yeah. We did, had it here, did you yeah. like it? Or I liked it. Yeah. 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 I absolutely love it. Yeah. I think it's really good. Yeah. I. To me, it's like um, you know, is it those nitro coffees though? You know, though, that kind of thing that's going on, and I yeah. just really love it. I think it's gorgeous. And you get like I've I've this pictures on my Instagram of a couple of weeks ago when I made one, and when I poured it, it was like it was like a Guinness. <laughs> the head was that that thick on it yeah. oh it was just it's really lovely and it's brilliant to use in food because it gives a bitterness instead of just the sour that kombucha can give that sour acid but the coffee kombucha gives another layer that's really missing from a, a flavour point of view that's missing in a lot of our foods because we've become used to such sweet food that we're missing this bitter element so that coffee kombucha gives me bitterness and a sourness so I really really love it so when you're thinking of flavours, you're thinking of what you can bring to your stall in terms of flavour, not just of what product, lemon, ginger, in terms of... Oh, it's strength. all about flavour for me. All about flavour. Sorry, now you're a bit like Ant and Deck to me. I don't know which is which. <laughs> I'm Mark. I'm Mark, please, Michael. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so for me, everything, it's a flavour first approach to food. That, uh, and it's to, like, I hate using the word healthy food. Because I, I just don't like the term, because healthy food, <laughs> what does it mean? Like all food, all food sh is nutritive, like it, nutritive, it, it, all food feeds your body. Mm. Whether it feeds it in a good way or a bad way is another thing, but it, it does all give you fuel and it, it keeps your body going. So I like to think of it as if you have a flavour first approach to food, uh, like it doesn't matter how good something, like it, how healthy something is, if it doesn't taste good, you're not going to eat it. Yep. Does it like really? Yeah. If somebody says to you, "Oh, that's really good for you," and you're like, "Yeah, but it tastes like cardboard." Yeah. yeah. Or you know, you're not going to eat it then. So I look at it from very much from flavor first. Mm. So I look at something. And I say, "Okay, um, I'm very plant centric, but I do do meat. Um, but I'm kind of careful about where the meat comes from. And uh, well, I'm as careful as I can be. It's very hard to navigate that whole thing as well. But but anyway, um, very plant centric. So and I just look. Okay, I'm going to have, say, I have a, a curry a massaman curry okay so and i'm using lots of say potatoes and squash or whatever's in season whatever kind of vegetables are in season so i go okay so the squash is quite sweet 
butternut squash. It's quite sweet. So I'm going to need something that has acid in it. Uh, but if I start off with the acid, if I start cooking it in acid, it's going to lose that acid. So I think of all the time, I think of the five tastes, you know, the sweet, sour, salty, bitter, umami. And I try to get all of that into the dish. And so I know that, say, peanuts are going to give me umami. They're also going to give me a fat. And then something else, some seeds will give me crunch. So I have texture and now I have got health benefits. I've got texture. I've got flavor. And then trying to put them all together so that the flavors are not muddied. It still tastes like it's supposed to taste. So I have a curry now. How am I going to finish that? What am I going to serve it with? I want something maybe rich, like a yogurt or something to cut, cut through heat. So instead of just doing yogurt, I'll make what's called a labna. So a labna is like a strained yogurt where all the whey is taken out. If you leave it to strain. And now that, lab, that labna is like a sponge for flavor then. So you can add great grated zest to it you can add um chili oils whatever you like that labna will soak it up so when you go to eat that when you go to eat that curry you've got the smoothness of the labna with say a hit of chili then you're going into the sort of earthy flavors of uh, of the butternut squash and the peanuts and all of that and then i want something a little bit bland to break all of that up so that might be my couscous or basmati rice or whatever it is whatever generally it's a whole grain a whole grain um, wheat or something like that so that's how i approach every single dish uh, or every bread everything i make Teresa, you've a skill in delivery you know, i watch <laughs> so many donald skihan and ready steady cook and whatever and i tell you ainsley harriet beat eat your heart out that's unbelievable <laughs> i just love how you approach it like i bet you cooking never gets tired then with oh, that no, approach jesus i just love it i absolutely mm. love i love food mm. Um, I love cooking. I, I didn't cook uh, this. We were talking a little bit earlier about uh, I was doing the market every second week now. Mm -hmm. And I actually felt like there was something wrong all weekend. I couldn't, I couldn't. And I, so I ended up making bread last night at about <laughs> half nine. I literally did, yeah, because I had to do something. I have to cook. I have to cook. And like, I really, really like cooking for people. And that's why I love the market. Yeah. Mm. The market is a very... It's different to, to a restaurant. In a restaurant, a lot of the times, the, the chef is behind. You know, they're hidden. Mm. And I know there, there are restaurants where it's an open kitchen, but it's not really an open kitchen. But the market is very open. So you're there, and people are hugely curious. I love that. I love when somebody, you know, says they're looking, say, at the sauerkraut or the, um, the kimchi or whatever those fermented foods are, and, or whatever your dish is. And they, and they start to talk to you, and they ask you about it. And I tell them like the flavors and I tell them then the, the benefits to the body. So like it doesn't have to be all about it's really healthy. It's really good for your gut. It will make you feel good. So our lot, our, our motto on the on the van is uh, it's called Booch and Bia and it's good food, good mood, because it's been very well researched, and very well proven that if you're getting the right food into you, your mood will improve. And we all know that um, like if anybody suffers from depression or is in any way down or traumatized, you have to eat good food get exercise yeah you know and that's because you're that's what your gut wants that's what your bacteria in your gut want they want to be fed well but um, anyway on the, on the curiosity point uh, customers will ask the, the questions they ask i love it i love talking to them then and i talk to them about flavor i won't get all sciencey on them or all chefy because mm. they don't give a shit whether rice so sorry sorry they don't care i have a chef's oh. mouth by the way but they want to know what it tastes like and they also want to know, could they possibly replicate that in some way? That's what they want to know. 
you know, and will this actually be good for me? Like, yeah. but don't tell me too much about how good it is for me. Tell me how I'm going to enjoy it. And that's what I find. That's what I really, really love about about the market. And as well as that, I can say to them, you see those carrots, those heirloom carrots. I got those off Tom down the road or I got that meat from Paddy or, you know, wherever it is. I got the veg from James who sells it right there. You know, that is, to me, that's magic. You actually do get the buffalo from Macmore. From buffalo. Macmore, yeah. Oh. yeah you had, had Liam on here, I think, didn't you? Did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right crack one of them. Yeah, uh, yeah, so, yeah, the buffalo sausage, that was only um, something new. But I decided to do the buffalo sausage for a couple of reasons. A, I know Liam. Uh, a, I hadn't tried them myself. B, I know the butcher, that he gets Noel. I worked for Noel for a long time. So I know that Noel, I know that Liam rears that, those animals well. Mm. I know that Noel butchers them well. That kills them kindly, as you know, as as well as they can. You're killing them at the end of the day, yeah. but I know that the whole I can kind of trace it back as much as possible. So I'm very confident um, and comfortable then talking about those. Mm. You know, and and it's a, it's a good product, it's high protein, low fat. You know, all of those kind of things. So it went very well, and mm. it's lovely with kimchi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I may give it a go. What I used to do is just get a spoon of kimchi and eat it by itself, just to force myself to get yeah. it in. But uh, I wouldn't be as as variety driven in my food as you. Like I eat the same thing every day, yeah. and it'd be fucking that's and that's enough. a really like, good point because the variety is a huge, like a huge thing. Getting that diversity of foods because mm. we are all, we're always talking about like we hear it all the time that our our bacteria our, our microbiome needs diversity mm. because mm. a we're growing a lot of the same crops all the time. So that's what people are getting to eat, and we all. I bet you do it yourself. I bet you, without thinking, you'd probably eat the same thing every Monday or every Tuesday. You know, we do, we, we do it. It's bacon and cabbage day. Yeah. Or it's, you know, curry day. So we do that, and it's the same ingredients that go in all the time. So we're not getting diversity of product, of, of food. And our, our gut bacteria thrives on that. That's what they want. They want mm. us to get different things. So that's why when I'm doing, say, I just took the, the Massaman curry, as an example, because it's a type of dish that you can throw a lot into. Right. So I will think about all the, oh, the different types of fibre that you need. Mm. You know, your soluble, your insoluble, resistant starch, all of those things. I'll think about all of those things that I can get in there that I know that your gut bacteria will absolutely love. And in turn, that will make you feel happy. And when did the first click with you that good health was important? Um, <coughs> I suppose... The first time I suppose I was down in UCC, I was doing a food science and technology degree down in UCC back in, I think it was 2015, and the, the uh, microbiome uh, study place, I can't think of the name of it now, but they've, that's where they study it. So there's two scientists, or two, a scientist, John, uh, John Cryan, and um, a psychiatrist, Ted Dynan down there and they wrote the book called The Psychobiotic Revolution. Have you heard of that? I've seen that. I was researching stuff earlier and that was one of the first things that came up. It is amazing. It's the most amazing book. So it's called The Psychobiotic Revolution and it talks about the role of the microbiome in for, um, for your mood and the effect it has on depression and things like that. So that's what they talk about. So it was written um, by Scott Anderson and then these two guys, John Cryan and, uh, and Ted Dynan, are the, they're the science behind it. And they're world leaders, and UCC is a world leader in this research. Mm-hmm. So I was down there um, twice a week. So I was kind of, I was looking at it, and then I had to do a research project, and I was doing it on something. I can't even remember what it was. But this kept coming up. 
and of course there's an, because it's, it was in Cork but because it was in UCC it uh, it was always talked about other lecturers were talking about the work that was being done there so that was kind of the start it kind of got me interested and, and then I did a master's in applied culinary nutrition and while I was doing that master's then it really I decided to kind of concentrate on that that was the kind of thing that I that I really just got really involved in and I started making um, kombuchas and doing all sorts of experiments in my kitchen not everything worked out <laughs> you know but uh, so that's really where it, where it all kicked off from yeah even subjectively, like I notice a difference from taking probiotics or taking kombucha or say if you go out and you eat like drinking pints or getting a takeaway then after, like you feel like shit, you feel depressed for two or three days, even a week after. Like, yeah, you do. And it is, there's that, definitely a connection between your gut brain and your head brain. Absolutely. Because you've wiped out, like, you, you know, you're, what's, what's in your gut is very, is, can be transient. Mm. So they say that your main, the, the main kind of uh, microbiome, well, you can have a microbiome anywhere. We just talk like a microbiome is a situ is a place. So it could be the microbiome of my skin or the microbiome of my underarm, whatever it is. But we still be talking about the gut microbiome. So they say that the makeup of it is generally kind of in place by the time you're two, mm. and it can be hugely influenced by how you how you're born. So whether you're born naturally or whether you're born by a cesarean section. So if you're born naturally, you're going to have all the mothers internal all that flora and fauna is going to be naturally there that's what that's the first hit that a baby will get but if you're born by a by a c-section which unfortunately you know that's the that happens and can't that can't be helped mm -hmm. but the very first it's a sterile it's a sterile environment so your first um, contact with with a with a microbiome of, so, of sorts is going to be whatever's there on the surgeon's hands or on the in the environment there so you've already got less than you would have normally mm. and then are you breastfed or not breastfed again you're going to get different d different um, varieties mm. so all those things come into play and uh, then depending on what you're fed when you're when you're very young and so they say by the time you're two you're kind of it's almost set but that doesn't mean you can't change it Mm. Um, but it does mean that if you don't get a variety of foods and you don't get that sort of um, diversity of, of uh, if you're not out playing in the dirt, if you're not doing all of those things that, you know, that, that were considered normal, much more normal than they are now. So we, like we're all too clean. Lads, you're way too clean. <laughs> I don't know about myself now. <laughs> I've been told otherwise. But we are, we are all kind of too just too clean and of course covid didn't help all of that did it you know and no, we use sterilizers we use antibacterial things in everything like every single thing that you can think of mm. almost has an, a, a antibacterial properties mm. and that's why the whole problem with um, antimicrobial resistance is out there as well the bacteria are becoming resistant to the drugs that we you know it's a huge big um, it, it, like it, it's a massive area mm. you could go from one area to another very quickly but either way, you're, you're, it's transient. So um, the more types of fermented foods and lactic acid bacteria and things like that th that you can get into, you, the better chance you have of keeping that colony going. So that, that's yeah. my understanding of how it works. As I said, I'm not a scientist, but that's, you know... Well, you're not a scientist, but thankfully Mark is. Mark has yeah. a science course this afternoon oh. on Google, and I think it's <laughs> yeah. good uh, ones, Mark. So this actually is kind of just what you were talking about, about the, mm. the, the body and the bacterial cells. So 
Uh, there are at least as many bacterial cells in the gut microbiome as there are human cells in your entire body. At least. Which is mental. So yeah. there's more bacteria in our gut than there are human cells in all of us. Yeah, so if you think, and that's just your gut. Yeah. So that's just one area and that has more than your, than your cells. The number is suggested to be close to 10 trillion. Mm-hmm. And that's not even counting the bacteria that live on our skin and elsewhere. Exactly. That's crazy. And uh, Michael and myself, or Michael sent me a video about this sort of uh, fertility crisis that's going on in men at Mm. the minute. And it's related to phthalates and like stuff like what's in your shampoo and your deodorant and things like that is ruining that those biomes and it's getting into your system and it's affecting men's health in particular. I was talking about, I assume it's not good for anyone really. No, I don't know an awful lot about that. I just know that we are wiping out um, either directly or indirectly, we're wiping out a lot of the sources of where we get good bacteria. Yeah. You know, bacteria gets a bad, a bad name. Mm, yeah. But obviously, if we're made up of all of that, and there's like, b- bacteria live everywhere. You know, mm. they 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 live on inanimate objects. They don't need something living to live on. Mm. So they're everywhere. So they're obviously not all bad. We desperately need them to survive. Like we only think we're important. Bacteria and microorganisms are important. They're, they were there long before us and they'll survive. When we die, long, they'll go back when, into the ground. Yeah, that, that's, you know, they are life. So by, for me, um, yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of talk about that with, with, with men as well. Mm. And there is also, is that related, I wonder, to um, a high-protein diet for men as well? Isn't there a lot of talk about that, that being related, that um, uh, men in particular, say, if trying to build up um, muscle? Mm that they're using a lot of these whey powders or muscle building all protein. Yeah. And so high protein diets, I think you'll find, have been linked to poor sperm count. As have well. they? Now, yeah, now, again, like that's a very broad thing to say because mm. it could be a particular type of protein. So you, you need to go and research it a bit more. But I do believe it can be reversed, which yeah. is a good thing. So if you go on a more balanced the lovely word balanced diet. Yeah. Ba- balanced to me and balanced to somebody else could be completely mm, yeah, different absolutely. things. But yeah, so um, I know that the it definitely is linked to it. Mm. But it can be reversed if you if you if you back onto Yeah, and similarly with the phthalates, what I found interesting with that video, I think it's on after school on YouTube, is that um it, once within three or four hours it's passed or they pass. Mm. So the 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 body's ability to resist or to reform itself uh, is there yeah Mm. but it's great Mm. yeah look after it it is i actually was given out to buy my doctor for a high protein diet i was recently so in the past six months i've had two stomach ulcers and uh they're probably now i wasn't sleeping great i was probably only sleeping four or five hours a night over this period and i got them twice and she said it's probably due to a high protein diet so i reduced my protein and now the stomach ulcer came back and the medication has helped, but uh, I don't know, maybe that is the cause of it as well. Maybe yeah. we shouldn't be eating as much protein as we are. There wasn't no vaccine thrown in there. Was there. A, yeah, they reckon it was underlying in my immune system. The vaccine brought it on and that's oh. what made it worse. Right, yeah. So it's probably just as well I got the vaccine. But, yeah, uh, lots of different, yeah. I, I've had ulcer problems as well, um, but I used to smoke. Mm. I don't smoke anymore. I don't smoke, mm-hmm. don't drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, too much information. <laughs> but um, my halo is there somewhere. Yeah, but, uh, yeah they, there's, there's lots of different causes. There's a, a particular type of bacteria that can cause ulcers as well. I can't think of the name of now offhand, but there is one that they often test for. And that can present itself as cough. 
Do you, know, do you ever see somebody sometimes and they're just <coughs> as if something is stuck in mm. their throat? Yeah. And that's what it was for me. I was wondering, I was like, God almighty, what is that? And uh, uh, it turned out it was from an ulcer. And one of the first things then they test for is this particular strain of bacteria, I which I just you cannot know. remember the I name. I can tell you the name of it right now. What is it? Uh, uh, one second now. Oh, no, it's gone. I it's it was gone. on a different page, yeah. <laughs> but it did have it here earlier. Yeah. I can't remember it. But apparently they can be... Stomach ulcers can also be brought on by anti-inflammatory drugs. Oh, yeah, by all the NSA. Which I started taking for the pain in my stomach. So I made it way worse. Yeah. yeah. Which wasn't good, but... Um, the, the milk kefir is really good for that. So, um, the, and we were talking about the kombucha, but milk kefir, um, so cultured milk, mm. is really good for, um, for your stomach for any kind of stomach or gut problems kind of seals the um it thickens the mucus on, on our cells which stops like these things like leaky gut and you know mm. which helps to, to prevent those so it keeps those barriers on the cells thicker. there's great variety in that market now as well like when you think your kefir yogurts like and in all the mainstream supermarkets have at least three or four options anyway yeah no, that little market in, in fairness like the the gory farmers market is a great market there's lots of different stalls down there like and we, we sell all this type of stuff but you can also get like i mean adele makes all the jams and things like that but she does she like she'll make um elderberry flower uh, uh drinks cordials and she uses the hedgerows as well in, in winter and she yeah. and she, she or in autumn and she'll make all of those types of things as well so it's all it's all there like and what goes into when you make your kefir you make kefir milk is it or kefir? i make milk kefir and water kefir yeah water kefir, right. yeah so they look they're called uh, kefir grains uh they're, they're not grains they're, they're the same as a scoby they're symbiotic cultures of bacteria and yeast but they just look like i should have brought you some they just look like little tiny translucent uh, well the water kefir uh, grains look translucent yeah. look like little clear grains and the milk kefir are the same only the milk kefir tend to clump together uh, and they're white obviously from the milk and so they and the water kefir grows really really quickly you feed that um, sugar and water it'll eat all the all the sugar it becomes fizzy and you can add flavors to it it happens much quicker than kombucha it happens in three or four days oh, yeah like really quick one then. it's easier to to make but it's much harder to handle because they will multiply at a rapid rate. You'll start off with, uh, like, I don't know, maybe 10 grams of, of water kefir grains. And after four or five batches, you'll have 20 grams. And then you'll have 200 grams very quickly. Okay. And you will not be able to give them away. Mm. You know? yeah. But you can feed them to your dog. <laughs> Great. Yeah. yeah, dogs love them. Um, uh, our dogs love uh, milk. They love the milk kefir. And they like a little bit of scoby. All right. A little bit of the kombucha scoby. <laughs> can do all sorts of things with scobies. There, there's yeah. huge, huge signs out there on, on what they're doing with, with scobies. They're making like edible packaging from, wow. from them. Yeah, you can candy them. You can, there is, uh, I can't even think of the amount of stuff, but if you even, uh, even if you wanted to do like a quick Google on uh, uses yeah. for, uh, for scobies, it's unbelievable. It's a very strong thing. It's a pellicle, it's a very strong material. And so they grow it. Do you know what you do sometimes? Look up Noma, and you know the the the, the famous restaurant in um, in Copenhagen. So Noma has won. This is the, I think it's their fourth or fifth time winning restaurant, the best restaurant in the world. And there's a couple of videos on Instagram where Noma grow the scoby in a flat, shallow tray, and they they grow it for the scoby, not for making kombucha. 
and what they can do with that scoby is it's unreal it's just unreal what would they use the scoby for then well they use it for all things so they'll put different flavors through it and they'll make it either very thin or very thick they'll they use it like they make a really really fine one it's almost see-through that um they've kind of caramelized and they put that over ice cream oh. I, I can't even tell you the half the stuff that they do with it but you need to look up like there it's amazing yeah the the kombucha or the scoby itself has lots of different uses yeah We've dived deep on the pleasant side. Mark, can we go into the dirty, gritty side? <laughs> oh, this, is, this is what I was looking forward to all the evening. Dirt. I couldn't sleep last night when to ask about this. Jesus, no, don't ask me that in too sciencey there now, Mark. So, <laughs> ancient medicine involved tr fecal transplants. So, the concept of engineering a healthy gut microbiome has long lived in human medicine. The first record of a gut microbiome transplant transplantation dates back to the 4th century, wherein golden syrup, also known as yellow soup, was used as a cure for food poisoning and diarrhea. The soup developed and prescribed in China used fecal matter as a primary ingredient. They didn't know the specifics of how it worked. The developers understood that diarrhea and food poisoning could signal an imbalance within the body and that this soup may help to restore it. We know now that fecal transplants can cause a shift in the microbiome and when done right, result in a healthier microbiome. Don't worry, we won't share the recipe. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> yeah, so uh, fecal transplants. Or you can, if you're in America, you can buy a poo pill, basically. Right. Yeah, which I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend. Yeah. Because yeah, you don't know, you really don't know where it's come from. They take the idea of a fecal transplant is it's actually being done at the moment in hospitals, and really? mostly oh. for people who um, uh, there's a there's a pathogen called um, what's it called now? C diff, Clostridium difficile, and it affects uh, elderly people in particular. And so it's just called C diff, and but it causes severe diarrhea. But it can it, severe diarrhea, as you as you know, in a small child or an unwell person or an older person can have very uh, bad effects, and you can die. But what they found is that if you transplant, what's worked, what has genuinely worked in really bad in, in really bad cases, is a fecal transplant. So basically, you have to find a good donor, though. You have to know that the shit you're going to put in there <laughs> is good shit. <laughs> <It's> good shit. <laughs> Well, you do. There's no point in getting like your shit. Do you know what I mean? Unless you have to show that it's that it's good stuff and that it contains the right um, the right balance of bacteria and the right that it's a good healthy comes from a good healthy microbiome, a good healthy gut. And if that's transplanted, literally as as it says, uh, it has had amazing effects. It has also had, like, there, there was a case of somebody dying in America fairly recently. Um, so I think it was, it, I think it happened actually during a trial. They, they were trialing out different methods. So I think somebody did die, but they, they, they can't actually say that they died from that. Mm. Um, I haven't gone back to look at that to find out exactly what happened. But. So if I was to eat all your food and get a really healthy gut bacteria, could I set up a stall and sell pills <laughs> of my poo at the Gory's Farmer's Market? You can do it like, <laughs> but don't set up beside me. <laughs> <laughs> you need a mask. <laughs> yeah. What would you call it? Oh, geez, I don't know, I'd have to get back to you. Poo, poo Tuesdays, maybe. <laughs> Uh, just to get back to the mental side, Teresa, so this other part here says your gut instincts may be more than just a phrase. Mounting evidence suggests that a person's mood, diet and behaviour and success, tendency towards diseases such as Alzheimer's disease <laughs> may be influenced by their gut microbiome. 
Findings like these prompted some scientists to refer to the gut microbiome and its relationship with the enteric nervous system, the network of nerves found in your stomach, as a second brain. Mm -hmm. Because most of this evidence comes from studies done with mice, it's still too early to say definitively how to or what extent bacteria affect human behaviours, but the evidence so far suggests that your gut instincts may be more than just a phrase. Yeah, um, I would say that the, the research into the microbiome is um, it's massive. And every second scientist seems to be doing some sort of research into uh, either prebiotics, um, what do you call them, probiotics, mm. or now postbiotics is, is another one. Right. And, um, but the gut-brain axis is a real thing. So your gut talks to your brain. Yeah. And it talks to it um, through pathways that are driven by, the, by particular bacteria. And some of the the byproducts of those bacteria, so that that literally can say whether it sends a positive or a negative message to your mm. brain or no message at all. So that's the way it kind of it, it is quite a complicated thing, and I wouldn't even pretend to 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 understand all the different pathways of it because it is quite complicated. Mm. But the psychobiotic revolution, the book that I was speak, that's exactly what that's about. Yeah, that's exactly what that book talks about, and they put it beautifully in it because it, even though it's it's um, done by or it's most of the book is written by scientists, they they're very good at uh, putting their message across. They're very good at uh, how they communicate that language, so it's really easy to read. Because yeah. I wouldn't have read anything too sciencey like sure, who who will unless you're a scientist you're not going mm. to read something like that. Yeah. But they, I couldn't recommend that book highly enough, wow. um, especially if you want to understand a little bit about um, depression and anxiety and the role diet plays in that. Yeah. And Ted Dynan, as I said, is that he was he's a professor of psychiatry, so for him to get involved in in in, in to really understand how the impact food can make on yeah. your mood is is massive. Because yeah. a lot of psychiatry was based around pills, tablets. Mm, yeah. Take a tablet for this, take a tablet for that. You know, and it's very it was very really short term mm. based. So and I understand like you like to break cycle, obviously something has to be you know, the, the thing has to be cut and you have to move on from there. But he has um he's collaborated also with Paul and me, who's a dietitian and they have a good food, good mood uh, cook. She has a really good, nice little recipe book out as well, cookbook out. For all for, for that kind of thing. But definitely the gut-brain axis is is a thing. It's definitely real, yeah. I think, um, I know, I'm not a scientist, obviously, but I read before that you have more serotonin receptors in your stomach than you do in your brain. That's right, yeah. yeah. They, they, one can't work without the other. What happens in your brain can't work without signals being sent from your gut. It's, it's how kind of I understand it. Um, I didn't think we were going to talk so much about that. No, I would have. I would have brushed up a little bit on my. Oh well, uh, we didn't either. No, no. <laughs> it's but like, it's really more, interesting stuff, though, it isn't is, it? Yeah. It really is. Yeah, I'm know. really curious. What's the feedback like? I know, like on the taste, but like, do you ever get people come back say, "Do you know what? I felt really good after taking yeah, that." Yeah, I do. Yeah. I get a yeah. lot of it. I also get a lot of people who tell me all of their bowel problems. Yeah, lovely. Mm -hmm. Okay. I can tell you now I know more about you Tori's better be bowels the than... <laughs> they do because do you know what people like to talk about the, the, yeah. their I can't stuff. believe you wake up on a Saturday morning and say right tell me what was it like this week How, what... <laughs> they start off with like the kind of look around to see if oh, anybody yeah. else oh. <laughs> ah no okay <laughs> you know? uh, so, but they want to know that um, they, they want to know how to take it 
And what I try to do is not medicinalize food, which I think can oh. happen really quickly yeah. If, yeah. if all you talk about is the health benefits of mm. something. So even though I'd say to them, look, if you're, if you're not used to, particularly if you're not used to fermented foods, you can't just go and drink a half a litre of that stuff because you think you had bowel problems before. <laughs> you will need to stock up on the toilet roll if you just dive in there. You can't do that. Your gut is not used to that. So you have to take off. So I give them a little tiny um, espresso cup. Oh, yeah. That's and I shot. give them that. Yeah, they're shot. Mm. Uh, and the shot. And I said, just take that in the morning. Just take that in the morning and have a, maybe a little bit extra fibre. So we sell this thing called Duca as well, which is a spice blend. So it's a spice and nuts and it's a blend and it just looks like a jar of seeds and nuts. But it's actually a very crafted deliberately for flavour and fibre content. And it's something that I call a fibre crumble. So it, it uh, you can put it on top of your carrots, your spuds, your whatever you're eating. So particularly if you're not good at, at having any fermented foods or if you're not good at eating a, a wide range of product of food products, this fibre crumble will give you a good a good hit of fibre. It'll give you a good um, like it depends on how you use it. And obviously the, 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 the detail is in the dose. But if you take kind of a tablespoon of that, you're going to get roughly 10 grams of fibre, roughly, depending on the blend. And like we need 30 grams of fibre a day. Mm. It's very hard for Irish people do, do not get 30 grams of fibre a day. Like they, they, they just don't in, in, in the main. So if you're getting a shot of kombucha, uh, a bit of dukkha, and say if you're having a spud and don't peel it, Leave the feckin' peels on. Don't be oh, peeling the... Preach it. You know? I <laughs> think so. And eat yeah. that peel. And, you know, things like that. Then you are really on your way. Your gut will thank you so much for that. And you'll feel better. You know, you really will have a little bit of a walk or a swim or whatever and on top of it. And you really will start to feel better. And after about... It takes about two to three weeks, really, for... Uh, so that's why I'd say to people, don't give up. You know, if you do feel a little need to, to use the toilet a little bit more than, than normal you know the first few days don't give up on that just don't say oh that made me go to the toilet mm. keep at it 10 to 14 days and you'll you, you'll really reap the benefits from it you know and what do you make of the capsules the super eights and udo's choice and stuff like oh, that they, like probiotics. yeah the probiotic pills yeah um i think if you're a person that can't take your nutrients or anything that you need for your health in food form, mm. fine. Um, but I do think that um, there is a whole generation out there that think, old and young, just it's a whole lot of people who think that everything can be solved with a pill, even mm. a poo pill. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I think um, probiotics are the same kind of thing. If you're going to buy a pill with probiotics in it, you want to know exactly what bacteria and yeast you're looking for. What, what are you actually looking for? And do you know that? Do you know what what probiotics you need? Because there's, you know, and are you going to get one that has seven strains of lactic acid bacteria? Are you going to get one that has three strains? You're going to get, so say um, say you buy milk kefir from the shop mm. or kombucha from a lot of the shops. A lot of it is pasteurized and then they might add back in something. So you're getting maybe three or four strains of bacteria. Mm. But you have something that's an artisan product like ours and you... Um, that's not fermented, or not, that's not pasteurised, I beg your pardon, that's not pasteurised, um, I think it, there's, that there could be 15, 16 different strains of bacteria and yeast. So do you see where I'm coming from? It's not just one thing. It's like taking a, a vitamin pill and all you're getting is vitamin A. 
mm. or vitamin C, and you know whatever it is, the vitamin C needs iron, or you know everything needs something else to work. Mm. Nothing works on its own in your body. You know, and it's the same with our biodiversity out there in things we're growing. If we keep growing monocultures, the bees are going to suffer. You know, other plants and other wildlife, everything's going to suffer if it's only, nothing works in life on its own. And it's the same with food. It's the very same. That's the way I look on it. Wow. Yeah. So no to the, unless, unless you can't get it any other way. There are people mm. have all sorts of issues um, with uh, the texture of food. Texture of food is a big thing for people that they can't swallow food that's um, what they describe as slimy or too crunchy or whatever it is. They have a, a real big problem with it. Like they, they can't, literally cannot swallow it. So if you can't get those types of foods into you for some, for any, whatever reason it is, well then, you know, take a good, a good multivitamin or take a good probiotic. But make sure it's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, because vitamins are just sold, aren't they, as the cure? Oh, they're just Nuts. Yeah, take you should this be able to this. get everything from your food. You really should. Yeah. Now, I, maybe that's easy for a chef to say because mm. maybe I know how to. I hope I know how to prepare <laughs> it anyway. Uh, so, like, then do we look at education? You know, should mm. people be? Um, should we be able to give people education that they can understand? I think like there's enough cookery classes out there. And there's enough, my God, people have never been more interested in food. Mm. But are they just interested in watching that mad TikTok or that, you know, the, the famous chefs, um, that food that, that that's Instagrammable? Is that mm. what they're interested in? Do they really want to make it themselves? Because I have a daughter that certainly doesn't. You know, <laughs> she had roasted chicken. I'm ashamed of myself. But imagine. <laughs> She'll kill me now. She <laughs> Let's focus on you, Teresa, to uh, avoid any family disputes. Yeah. <laughs> like, you certainly have found your, um, what's the Japanese have it, Ikegi ikai or... Ikigai. Yeah, we'll, we'll take it. Yeah, whatever, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you found, like, you, you have your health, your health and safety with the culinary during Monday to Friday, but you, you have this market and it's a pure passion of yours. I absolutely love it, yeah. I do. Um, I've had restaurants over the years and I've liked them. You know, and I've given everything to them, lost me arse on them, still gone back for more. Yeah. But I've never had, this is different, that, and this type of food. I don't do like the fermented foods and the kombuchas. I don't do them for the wackiness or the, the novel factor. I don't do them for that. I do it because I absolutely believe in it. I believe in the science. It all makes sense to me. Mm. Now, this type of food just makes sense to me. Uh, and it, it's all things that we've lost like we in Ireland, we always had we had a history of fermented foods. You know, we had a history of of keeping foods, um, fermenting them in gar in honey, like garlic and honey or other things being fermented in honey. What other examples have you got? Um, so, well, buttermilk is the best. You know, buttermilk was always a drink that right. people had. They it, it, you didn't drink, <laughs> you just didn't drink glasses of milk. You had buttermilk. That's what you used to cook with, to make breads with, and that's what you drank. Everybody drank buttermilk. There's lots of different. Sometimes we mightn't have known that we were fermenting them, <laughs> yeah. um, because we would have been just looking for a flavour of some sort to make something with, you know. But but um, other cultures do have a huge culture. Uh, you know, other countries rather like uh, China and uh, Japan. They have a huge culture of, of fermentation. Huge. And, and fish in warmer countries. Warmer countries tended, I suppose, to have a better um, or a more diverse culture of it 
because of their heat, because they needed some way to preserve food. And sure, that's what fermentation does. It's a preservation method. So they would have had a, a better, a, a bigger, wider culture of it than we do. But we still fermented our milk. That's, that's what it was. And sure, cheese is a fermented product. So we had mm -hmm. lots of fermented cheeses, lots of sour cheeses that, that had that tang and, and that natural mould or whatever it was then. Yeah, you definitely are, pasteurize it all now. That's I'd say you definitely find a flow and get into a zone in the kitchen. Especially you, you, you describe uh, your food. I think with a great respect and admiration. Like, um, and you even mentioned that when you say that bacteria are greater than us. Like, yeah, and I think that's I think that's a really good way to to talk about it. Food deserves respect. Every bit of food deserves respect, and I'm I'm currently doing um, a degree in botanical cuisine. Okay, so I go and up. That's what that's what had me uh, in Dublin. I go to Dublin every Monday up to Airfield up to Dundrum, and my eyes have been open. And I thought I was a real Noah, like you know. I thought, no, but I thought I had a fair understanding of, of what happens in, in the production of food. I know nothing, I know nothing, until I'm when I've been talking to these lecturers. Like we had a bee lecture. My God, I didn't know whether to. I, I was amazed at the beauty, the whole beauty of a bee for a start, but I also wanted to cry. Like school children knew this. School children knew that uh, or know that there are no wild honeybees. I didn't know that. They're yeah. gone. Any, wi any wild honey, any honeybees that you see out there now are what they call feral bees. So they belong to a beekeeper, but they've gone AWOL. Jesus. Yeah. Kids are being taught this in school. I've 50. <laughs> and I didn't know that. You know, I, I didn't know about um, ivy honey. I knew there was lots of different types of honey. But I didn't know the bees made ivy honey. It's been made here in Gorey. You know, a beautiful one. Is that Tara Hill honey? Yeah. Right. Uh, like, why did I not know that? I've been cooking for 40 years. And I didn't know what was under my, what's under my nose. I also didn't know the absolute work that goes in to something like honey making. And the, like, we all know that the bees are in trouble. But really, why are they in trouble? Really, why is it? Is it all to do with monoculture? Is it all to do with human intervention? Or is it to do with pests and insects? Or are they all related? Is it one thing or is it everything? There's lots of things. So we had a fantastic lecture from a guy who's opened a, a kind of a wildlife reserve up in, um, in Wicklow. And be open to the public now. Um, I think they are actually open to the public. And he's just really, really interesting. He was really passionate. I've had a lecture from foresters. Um, who are who? There's a, a the people in Kilmuckage and they run um, the Irish what, the, what do they call it? Irish Wild Forest or the Irish Forest Garden? I beg your pardon, Claire and Joe. And this place is it's just amazing. So they do organic food boxes. So they grow them and they grow on this food. And you can you can order your food box. They'll Claire will send you a message every week to say what she has, and then you you go and buy it. But besides that. What they have is this edible forest. So they've allowed a space where they, uh, it's not wilding, you know the way you've heard of wilding where, where they leave a space. Yeah. It, it's more controlled than that. It's a little bit more controlled, but it is left. So it's based on the principles of Mary Reynolds, the, the, she's a famous Wexford garden designer. And she has, um, she started this um, revolution. It's the only word I can think of it really called the ark. So the ARC stands for Acts of Regenerative Kindness. So you're basically letting, letting, letting the land do what it, what it does. 
but you're giving it the, the landscape to do that. So it's like a seven layer thing where they have like trees on the outside and then another layer of bush of shrubs, then a bottom, you know, right the way down until you leave and uh, until you make the ground possible for the mycelium to, to grow. And that's the communication back to bacteria, back to yeasts, back to microorganisms. And all of a sudden you get all these edibles, all these wild edibles, all sorts of things that we've kind of forgotten about. And you'll get the wildlife come back and you'll get the pollinators. You'll get all of that back. And they have this wonderful little space where you can walk in and you can walk around and you can forage. Because you'd have your, your starter main course and dessert in it, walking around it. And they've let a, a natural marhole build there. And now they have the, the birds and the, the frogs. They've all come back. And there was nothing there five years ago. There was nothing there. So all of this kind of thing has been brought home to me, I suppose, um, by study. I love studying, um, obviously, <laughs> two degrees and a master's. I, lo I, I love studying. Like, and I just, but I, I only want to, well, not that I only want to study, but it's the love of food. So I, I want to really understand what I'm doing. I want to respect every leaf of lettuce and every tomato and understand the work that went into growing those. That kind of what drives me. That's what I drive people mad yeah. talking about anyway. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating. There's a PhD in you yet, and I think if there is. you're going to go with a PhD, I think yeah. you'll end up going with the markets. And you might go and say, well, why? So there, there's the environmental factors that you've outlined, but it's, it's people driven. All of this is people taking an interest in the past. Yeah. So is it that more people will come to your stall, more people will pop up in markets across the country, and this this market will have a more of a demand. Is that what you see? Um, yeah, well, it's interesting to say about the PhD because I'm definitely trying for a PhD. I'm just waiting for someone to give me some money to do it, <laughs> fund it. But actually, it's in the culinary medicine area. So culinary medicine does tie in very well with, with obviously, with, with this type of this type of thing. But um, Sorry, what, what, I, would, what about culinary? How would you heal with, with culinary? Or, so culinary medicine is really about um, how medical professionals teach nutrition. Oh. So it's the chef's role in that is what I'm interested in, how chefs can add to this conversation. Because chefs are not just, to me, chefs are not just people who, who take something out of a packet, reheat it and, and you know. Yeah. Now, there, there's plenty that just do that and that's the, the way the thing has gone. But I think chefs have a huge amount to give to this conversation, to the biodiversity conversation, to the health conversation, to the mic. I think they have a huge amount to add to it. And we're trained in that now. Chefs are not just trained in one thing anymore. You know, they're, they're, there's a huge area around that. So that's what I believe. I believe the culinary medicine should be brought. Um, originally, it was mostly about med training medical professionals to cook well so they can show or talk to patients about diet. I think it should be brought more into the community, which is bringing me to, to what you're saying about. So if you bring that to a community level, mm. then you're going to get people, more people going to markets looking for that. But they may not come to a market. I don't really want people to keep to, to, to still be coming to me in five years' time for kombucha. I would really like them to be coming maybe to me for flavour advice and for a scoby or for, you know, um, how, can I, how can I make different types of duke, whatever it is, that kind of way. 
So I'm not exactly going to set the world on fire with my kombucha. I'm not going to set up a big factory or anything like that. That's not the aim. No, but you're selling, Education you're selling is the, the community. You're, you're, set, yeah. you're, going to, you're willing to sell scobies. Like. You, have you sold Oh, I scobies? wouldn't sell a scoby. I'd give oh, a scoby. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, okay. Jesus. You don't, you go, that, that would go against selling a scoby. would <laughs> go against the, the, the whole thing of fermentation. No, you give your friendly bacteria to, your, to anybody who wants so it. And you give them a... You give them a sheet on how to do it right and then you tell them to go ahead and don't forget to burp it the, mm -hmm. what i was saying to you letting the if you don't if we call it burping because if it explodes in your kitchen don't come back to me <laughs> <laughs> um so there's so simple steps would be to like go to a stall like yours or in a in a market somewhere is that mm -hmm. what you say like for someone that wants to improve their own goat health what what do you, what would you say yeah i say definitely look at look out there uh, the markets are a good place to start and there are some products in supermarkets and that but look if you're going to buy something like that look in the in the chilled cabinets okay you're not going to get anything that's fresh that's not chilled okay so you know th that's the first step and try little bits of everything that's really you know things so buy the kombuchas and that but it, you know, it might say on it raw live, contains raw live bacteria. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's not a pasteurised product. It could have been pasteurised and then, the, like some of our yogurts and things like that, where it's added back into it. But you see, sometimes I, this is a kind of a fight with me sometimes because I'm a food safety trainer. <laughs> you know, so I spend most, half my time telling people, this is how you kill bacteria, yeah. <laughs> you know, how, this is how you make things safe. But I'm talking about pathogens there, and you know, bacteria that are going to cause illness. And but then I tell people that we're too clean, you know, like we started off this conversation. We're too clean, and we're too this, and we're you know. So there's a there is a a line there sometimes that I do find difficult in myself that I have to try and figure out like the the commercial side against the home making it at home and not making yourself ill because yes you can if you if you're not clean. With when you're bottling the kombucha, if you're not clean, it, like if those bottles are not sterilized, or uh, you go to the toilet and don't wash your hands, and you come back and you're you start bottling something, then you're going to get, you know, you're going to get bad 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 bacteria on that, you know, and then you could get sick from it. So there yeah. is a there is a fine line, but I think workshops. I I would love to find somewhere to do workshops to do proper workshops as in have a like what I've called a teaching kitchen. So there's a teaching kitchen where you could have 10 people, you know, and they're sharing a station and they're making, uh, they're making kimchi or they're making sauerkraut. You were talking about sauerkraut earlier. Yeah. I meant to say to you, a really good way to eat sauerkraut if you don't like it yeah. is to grate pineapple. If you like the taste of pineapple or yeah. apple. Yeah. So I do a lot of that and that's what add the grate that. So it helps people if they don't like that sour I think so you get the sweetness of the pineapple yeah. so you're, and there's so much sugar in the pineapple that actually increases the bacterial activity mm. of your sauerkraut yeah. so little things like that I'd love to do um, workshops on that so I'd like to find a space that you can rent and you can say okay I'm running a fermentation class or I'm running um, a flavour taste a flavour cookery class whoever nobody does that I'd love yeah. to do that you know and yeah so that's how I, that's how I, that's how I'd like to see it go yeah. and the market is a great um I suppose it's just a great gateway to that. Yeah. Hopefully. This is serious business and one that we probably need to wake up to, I'd say. Yeah, no. I think so. I, th I think so. I think just even to even if people wake up to that diversity of foods, just that variety, if I yeah. could just get that through to people, 
but we're creatures of habit, aren't we? Yeah, definitely. What we do, we buy the same brand of cornflakes or whatever it is. Mm. We buy the same things all the time. Now, that's not always our fault, our own fault, because when you go into, as good as some of the supermarkets are, and we all shop in supermarkets, basically, uh, you've, it looks like you've lots of choice, but actually you haven't. Mm. You've lots of different packaging, and you, you might have different brands, but you don't actually have much choice, you know, yeah. so, uh, and that's a problem. I think that's a problem and that's where our, our guts are paying for it. That's more people with gut health problems and with immune uh, um, immunity problems, you know, and it really is all stemming from, well, a lot of it is stemming from diet. Right. Now, yeah. We can help our immune system. We can protect it and scaffold it is what I'd like to go. We don't like the word um, we. <laughs> Who are we? Mm. But I don't like the word um, boost. You don't want your immune system boosted. Mm. That's, not, mm. that's not a good state of affairs to yeah. be in at all. But you do want to scaffold it. You want to, you know, encourage it and be kind to it. So diversity of foods, lots of fermented, not even lots of fermented food, but little bits of fermented food, lots of um, foods that you're not good, that are not processed, basically, yeah. not yeah. over ultra processed. It's a big problem. Yeah. Am I preaching now? No, no. Help yourself. <laughs> preaching to the converted. Yeah. I hope that many Febertusians convert to you now. So you're all on Instagram and Facebook, Booch and Bia. Booch and Bia. Yeah. And um, Teresa, you're fantastic. Do you know what? We have oh. another one who's passionate, right? He's not normally just, I don't know, let, let 34 seconds of this man speak to you anyway. It's, it's Flash Flood, okay? Flash Flood? Yeah. He's a contributor to the podcast. In a thunderstorm at the moment. And the scene hat of a certain team. And the fucking hat costs 35 euro. 35 euro for a fucking hat. Now, I never heard the likes of it before. But that's absolutely madness. I mean, 35 euro for a hat? They want to be selling cocaine or something. <laughs> you pay 35 euro for a hat, uh, Teresa? Well, if it was going to last me 50 years, I might. Oh. Sustain, made from sustainable materials. <laughs> Irish mm. wool. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Bloated isn't happy anyway. He's not happy, no. No. If you it's got cocaine with 35 euro, I suppose, it isn't a bad deal. Like. <laughs> it's another example of the conglomerates of the story, yeah. though. He, uh, Flood doesn't like conglomerates either. I'd say you join him in that uh, in that club anyway. I don't, I'm not sure I know what conglomerates mean. Oh, sure, I'm not sure any of us do. Except for it's hard to get my mouth around. Teresa, thanks a million for coming into us. And, uh, oh, thanks a million for having you're, me. You're fantastic. Oh, Jesus. Oh. Thanks very much. I'm delighted to get the chance to talk about it, to be honest, because I... Um, as you probably gathered, I like talking about food. That <laughs> so, was great. It's so great it's to good listen to. Good to get the chance. Thanks, Amelia. Thanks, Thanks Teresa. <laughs>